This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Jason Berry delivers this teaching entitled, Finding Peace in Anxiety. This is the first message in the series, I'm Okay, I'm Okay, Everything is Fine, The Truth About the Anxiety Lie. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone and uh, the first week of a two-week series. I just need to pause for a second. Ladies, thank you. You are so brave. And I want, I want you to know this. That diaper was actually Nutella. It wasn't what it looked like. I just need the whole room collectively to know that because that's just wrong. So thank you, ladies. Welcome to our first, uh, first week of our two-week sort of Thanksgiving series where the title of the series is the answer we typically give when asked the question, hey, how you doing? And you answer the question, I'm okay, I'm okay, everything's fine. And the reality is when we answer the question that way, most of the time everything's not fine, right? See, I've only been married for 12 years and I don't look at myself like a, like a pro yet, but I'm smart enough and most of the husbands here are smart enough to know that when I ask my wife, hey, how you doing? And she goes, I'm fine. Husbands, what does that mean? It ain't fine, right? Things are bad. There's trouble in paradise. Go dive into that. We do this everywhere. We do it at work, right? We're walking down the halls at work and someone says, hey, Bill, how you been? And I'm fine. Maybe you walk around the hallways here at 12 Stone and someone says, how you doing? You go, oh, I'm okay. Everything's fine. So let me, let me start here. One of the reasons we're doing this series is because you need to realize 12 Stone is a place where it's okay not to be okay, right? You can show up here not all cleaned up and polished up and everything fixed. That's why we exist in great part is because we think this is the place you come when everything isn't fine, when everything isn't okay. So for the next, next two weeks, we're going to be unpacking what we think are the two main culprits when our life is not okay. And this week, we're going to be talking about anxiety. And next week, we're going to be talking about discontent. And for some of you, me just saying the word anxiety gives you anxiety, right? For some of you, this is, this is a real thing. But we're going we're gonna to unpack over the next two weeks what we think God wants to invite us into, his solutions for those things. See, it's easy to smile and say everything's okay, but your backpack is full of anxiety. So today, we're going to jump into the topic of anxiety. Uh, psychologist Philip Zimbardo said this. He said, it appears that children these days feel the same level of stress and anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. Whoa. Parents are like, that answers some questions for me. See, there's study after study that shows that the United States is the most anxious nation in the world. We've got anxiety. It's a timeless problem. But let me just say this off the top. Today, I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. Right? I'm not talking about the disease of anxiety. For some of us, we learned anxiety from our role models growing up, and we need to go take that to a Christian counselor and unpack those things and help walk through that. For others, there's chemical imbalances at play in our body, and we need to go take advantage of the medical and the healthcare resources that we have in this country. And so I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the everyday anxiety we all, we all live with from time to time. You can think back on times in your life, I can think back on times in mine where anxiety was sort of like at a peak level. Uh, I was 16, got my driver's license the day of my birthday, one of the most freeing times of my life. I, I felt awesome and for two weeks I was free and then two weeks into the driver's license I, I was with my brother in the car and I said, I wanna know how fast my four-cylinder 1987 Nissan Sentra SE can go. So I took it to the highway 
And if you know what a Nissan Sentra SE from 1987 looks like, it took a long time to reach max speed. It was miles of downhill driving. And I know exactly how fast that car can go. Uh, I actually double-checked the speed both with my speedometer and with the police officer behind me. And he pulled me over, and I got a ticket for 22 miles an hour over the speed limit. And my drive home was one of the most anxiety-ridden 20 minutes of my life. I've had a license for two weeks. Parents, think about this. Two weeks, I'm driving home and I have to explain it to my parents what just happened. And it didn't help my brother next to me just thought it was the funniest thing ever, watching me squirm, right? So I can remember 11 years ago, I'd been married for about 11 months, just came on staff here at 12 Stone. I was about to hop on a stage and, uh, and uh, lead in one of our next, next gen environments. And I got a phone call from my wife 10 minutes before the service started. And so I took the call and she said, hey, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. She said, I took a test. I'm going, a test? You're not in school. Okay. And she said, uh, it's positive. And I was like, well, at least that's good news, right? Uh, I'm clueless. And she says the two words. <laughs> that changed everything. She said, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Guys, you remember that moment? In that moment, the weight of the world started to weigh on my shoulders. We were wanting to wait five years. I I don't remember what I said from stage after that phone call. I don't remember the drive home. I just remember the question started, God, God, I've never changed a diaper. What do I do with this? How do you feed kids? Like just throw a chicken wing on the table and hope hope for the best, you know what I mean? I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Something's about to call me dad. (laughs) See, anxiety in that moment was a real thing for me. We've all had those moments of anxiety, haven't we? Even in everyday moments, whether you're you're running late to work, right? You you got a late start and God, just make traffic good and it's not and 85's gridlocked and you feel your chest start to get tight with anxiety. You know, introverts, you're famous for this. You made plans when you were having a good moment, right? Life is good, let's go party. And then the day comes and you'd rather do anything but go out, right? And the anxiety of disappointing people and disappointing friends in that moment. See, maybe uh, about a month ago now, you saw the new iPhone 10 come out. You just had to get the iPhone 10, and you did not tell your wife about it yet. And it's about mm, 30 days later, which means the credit card bill's coming in very soon, and the anxiety of what that means financially and relationally with your spouse, it's a thing. Y'all ever heard the term Smonday? Smonday is the time on Sunday when it stops feeling like the weekend and the anxiety of Monday creeps back, right? It's somewhere about halfway through a chicken wing plate and halftime of a football game. It's like, oh no, it's not the weekend right now. It's over. The weight of a nine to five, the weight of your kid's calendar and driving to sports and all this stuff of life starts to weigh in. You know, maybe your kid gets in trouble at school and the phone call comes from the principal or the teacher and the anxiety of questioning, am I messing my kids up, man? Are my kids, are my kids going to jail when they get older? What am I doing wrong here? You know, maybe, it's funny, jail, your kids are going to jail. Anyway, uh, maybe you own your own company and you get the P&L once a month and the pressure of the finances there. Maybe it's just you watch the news at night, right? And the weight of the sky is falling everywhere and the anxiety of what this world can be sometimes. You see, I, I ask, what could possibly go wrong? And anxiety says, I'm glad you asked. See, as we talk about anxiety today, I want to give us sort of a working definition, a working statement for us. You see, I think, I think anxiety exists when the problems around you overwhelm the peace within you. If you're taking notes, let's fill in that first blank together. Anxiety exists when the problems around you overwhelm the peace within you. Let me take it to the whiteboard. Let me, let me draw it out this way. See, we all have problems, right? 
this world is not problem free. We've all, we've all got, we've all got stuff and this, this is me and it's you. And we've got stuff. I've got finances, right? We all got to pay a mortgage or pay rent somewhere. I got kids and we got the pressure of that. We've all got problems. I'll just say I'm married. Um, and so we've got jobs, right? We've got careers. We've got the pressure of little Billy's soccer practice and little Susie's ballerina lessons. And I don't even know if they do ballet. Anyway, we've all got problems, right? But what anxiety is, is when the problems around us begin to overwhelm the peace within us. We've all had moments, seasons of that, where the normal problems of life begin to overwhelm the peace within us, and we sit in seasons of anxiety. And men, listen, we're not above this. We like to pretend we are, but we're not above it. If we're honest, there are places we don't talk to our friends or even our spouse about where we carry weight and pressure. Maybe it's the pressure to provide in career. Maybe it's the pressure to be a good dad. Maybe it's a private place that brings guilt and shame for us and anxiety starts to weigh. In fact, most of our vices are a result of our anxiety. See, anxiety steals the best moments with your kids and your family and your growing up, the best moments in life. And you can try, try to work it away, you try to bury it away, you can try to buy it away, you can try to drink it away, but it ain't gonna work. It's not enough. See, the majority of our culture sits inside of anxiety and carries it wherever we are. And I think for too long, we've been kind of okay with anxiety. And perhaps today, God's saying, listen, stop. This is, anxiety is not a low-grade fever that you just take Tylenol for. I want to invite you, sons and daughters, to face anxiety head-on and to invite me into the process with you. Because you think, I think God has a better way for his kids to live. So I, uh, I went in and started doing the research for the teaching and I looked up probably the most famous verse for anxiety. So I said, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer the question for me. What do we do with our anxiety? So the guy's gonna put it on the board, Philippians 4, 6. says this, do not be anxious about anything. All right, let's go home, right? We're good. I'm like, all right, God, help me. Anxiety, what do we say? Don't. That's not helpful. But God gives us a bigger perspective inside this verse. Let's take a look at and, and actually get the starting point of this verse. In verse four, it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The perspective's helpful, isn't it? See, God's not just saying, stop being anxious, get over it. The verse starts by saying, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near, don't be anxious. It's as if God's saying, listen, I am, me and me alone are, is at the center of an angst-free life. And perhaps what God's saying is, rejoice in me first, meaning the key to an angst-free life is actually Praise. Now wait for it, because that's an easy one to dismiss. Like, okay, what else you got? Nice try, swing and a miss, what else? No, no, I, I don't want us to skim past it too quick. See, if, if anxiety exists when the problems around us overwhelm the peace within us, your second blank, I think peace exists when the praise within you overwhelms the problems around you. See, I think peace exists when the praise within me overwhelms the problems around me. In other words, praise is God's answer to anxiety. 
We don't have to overlook our problems. We have to overwhelm our problems with praise. And that's, I know that's an interesting statement. We'll unpack that together. But I think God invites us that, listen, your anxiety does not inform God's nature. God's nature informs your anxiety. And I think God invites us into this. And before you dismiss the answer too quickly, I want to invite you into a conversation. Pastor Kevin and uh, Chris Morgan, one of our worship pastors here, got a chance to sit down and just talk about the topic of praise last week. And I think this will be informative to our conversation this morning. Check it out. Chris, I love talking worship with you. You have kind of a King David soul. And King David knew things that I think often escape us. A couple of things that really would transform our life. Things like praise and in thanksgiving. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about praise. If, if you had to describe what is praise, how, w- how would you put words to that? Well, I think that praise is when we recognize God for who he is. Uh, And by recognize, I don't mean just sort of mental agreement or mental rehearsing of who he is, but heart and mind come together and we aim our soul at the living God. You know, we tend to live life in the midst of problems and dilemmas, and it's easy to keep our sights on that. Well, praise kind of elevates heart and mind past the problems of our life. So we are Uh, looking at God. We're elevating up to who God is. uh, Scripture says in Psalm 129, I lift my eyes up to where my help comes from. And this is indeed the direction of praise. We don't, we're not looking down at the problems around us. We're looking up. Now, the power, I think, in praise is the ability to do that over and over and over again. So in other words, you could say it like this, in praise, I'm not trying to recognize something new about God. I'm trying to personalize something ancient or someone ancient. Uh, it's not that I'm, because the God's character doesn't change. His nature hasn't changed. So these are things we've all sort of known about God for a long time, but can I personalize them over and over and over? It's a lot like in marriage, you don't wake up every day and see something new and something exciting about your spouse. We basically wake up to the same set of facts that we went to bed with. Although Marsha might wake up and just say, wow, he's amazing again. Yeah, it's, it's fresh new. every day. But, yes, but, but normally for the but, rest but, of us. But it's really renew, isn't it? I mean, the, yes. that the appreciation of a long uh, developing relationship is that we renew That's right. what we what we knew, and it becomes fresh and powerful. And what's the ability to do it today and then do it again tomorrow and engage heart and mind again and, and, and be excited about that? And so praise is doing the same thing. I'm not recognizing something new. I am rekindling something ancient. Which is what you help us do in worship, uh, but there's some difficulty. I mean, it seems easier when you're prompting us in worship, uh, but what are some of the difficulties in praise? Yeah, I think praise is difficult because I think our natural sort of sinful nature bent in life is to live sort of self-obsessed and inside of a a self-reliant bubble. And in that bubble, there's a lot of discontent, but we're sort of, uh, we we make our home there often because honestly, we don't want to need anybody else. We don't want to need God. We want to do it ourselves. It's kind of like the three-year-old that goes, I can do this. Leave me alone. And that three-year-old still lives inside of me. And he puts up resistance almost every time I go to try to engage with the living God because I, I, you know, I want to do it myself. But praise comes to break the back of that spell. And it basically goes like, no, I need God. 
I'm low, humble, and broken. He's high and exalted. I need to get past my self-reliance, and that because it's fiction. That's <laughs> what it is. Yeah. And so what is the advantage? I mean, it's difficult, yes, to break the back. If you were to say, okay, here's an advantage, if you'll break the back and learn to praise, what, what's, what's the advantage on the other side of that? Well, the advantage of praise is that it, when heart and mind finally actually come together and I elevate my perspective up to where God is, I achieve escape velocity out of this very hopelessly human place, and I get up to supernatural places where the presence of God is more of the reality, right, for me. Like, I'm up in, in, in places where the, you could say the atmosphere of my soul changes, and it's up to where God is. And in that place, I can, I can pray more effectively. That's one of the reasons we start with praise often in, yeah. in prayer, right, is because when the atmosphere of my heart changes, I can engage with God more effectively because now I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in His presence. You know, God inhabits praise. I think you and Dave would probably equally say it is not just transforming. Praise is awakening. Yeah. Yeah, our heart awakens to something that before it's, uh, our, our, our gaze was cast down. And then in praise, we look up. And not only do we look up and aim our hearts there, but then heart and mind come together and we get up to the size and significance of who he is in our experience. Mm -hmm. So I think, that's a, I think that's huge motivation for praise, to get in the presence of God and the atmosphere surrounding his person becomes our experience. Mm. What Chris does for us is he helps us understand praise is not a passive response. Praise is an active response. It's a pursuit of the presence of God in our life and over our problems. Praise is not just driving around listening to the fish and singing in your car, right? Praise is bigger than a three-song set list on a weekend. Praise is a, a pursuit. See, what I've discovered is that praise and anxiety can't exist in the same heart for very long. See, when I'm anxious and anxiety starts to rise up, praise removes the oxygen that anxiety needs to survive, and they don't exist in the same heart for very long. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is un unpack what I think God invites us into in praise. See, God does not leave us defenseless. I think God gives us the weapon, the tool of praise, not just to sing songs here, but for God to help us to rise up out of this helplessly human existence, as Chris Morgan said in the, in the video. So we're going to spend the rest of our time in Psalm 121. And if you want to turn with me there in your worship center Bible, it's on page 616, 616, Psalm 121. And this is a psalm that, that we, most theologians would believe was written by King David. And King David was no stranger to problems. Uh, growing up, he had to run away from King Saul as King Saul tried to kill him for decades of his life. When he was a young boy, there was a giant named Goliath he had to go stand out in front of, and he's this little boy taking on this giant. That's a problem, right? David was no stranger to problems later in life when he actually committed the sin of adultery and had to deal with guilt and shame and the mess that went with that. And even amidst all the problems that surrounded David, David knew how to put praise into practice in his everyday life. And I think Psalm 121 is a layering of what David would invite us to in praise, so as we walk through this, I want us to think of it this way. Each of these things is not individual. There's a layering and a building and a richness that God invites us to through Psalm 121. So let's go ahead and start with the first one, verse one. 
Psalm 121, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's stop. See, I lift my eyes up. The imagery in that is, is, a, is a deciding inside of myself. I will decide to discipline my focus. I will look up. Let's take it to the whiteboard. Here's the picture, I think, that would make sense of this for us. David is saying, listen, I lift my eyes up to where my help comes from. And where does my help come from? God. See, David's saying, listen, I'm surrounded by problems. I got messes around me. I got pressure mounting. But I, I lift my eyes up, up to the hills where my help comes from. And the first thing praise has to do is recognize God for who he is. Your first blank, recognition. The first layer of praise that David invites us into is simply recognizing God for who he is. See, it matters that we start in the right place because if you start in the wrong place, you'll end up in the wrong place. And what David invites us to in lifting his eyes up is recognizing God for who he is. This is, this is the first layer of praise. You see, but anxiety grows when I start with my problems. Have you noticed this? If I was to have you list all the problems in your life right now and you just were to meditate on those problems, <laughs> it's like someone would just turn the pressure cooker up in your chest, right? And the pressure and the angst and the things you're carrying starts to mount. But if you were to start with the nature and the character of God and just to start listing who God is, right? What that does, when you start with your problems, everything in your world is informed by your problems. When you start with who God is, everything in your life is informed by who God is, but when you start in the wrong place, you quickly realize, I, I'm not able to carry all these problems. Let me just give you good news. You weren't created to. You weren't created to carry all the problems of life on your own. You were created knowing that God knows that you need him. And we have to recognize who God is. See, my wife and I are trying at a young age to help our kids learn to recognize God for who he is. We want our kids to recognize God quickly in, in times of trouble, in times of pressure. And so what we do every week when our kids leave uh, the, the, the children's environments here at 12 Stone, parents, you've gotten the cards before, right? Probably got seven of them on the floor of your car right now. Don't be, don't be feeling too bad about it. I got these cards. We get the cards, right? We, they tell us the Bible story we're talking about, the scripture we're in, and it usually gives a memory verse. And so we work with our kids every week to help them memorize scripture, particularly scripture that talks about the truth of who God is. My youngest son, Lincoln, he's five. He's taken to it. Like he, he, he memorizes them and he uses them. He'll come up to me and he'll say, Dad, what can any mere mortal do to me? What five-year-old says that, right? <laughs> do your, what, God, what, Dad, what can any mere mortal do to me? And then he'll smile and say, nothing. I trust is in God, Psalm 56. I'm like, boy. We're going for a walk a couple, uh, couple weeks ago and it gets dark early now, right? So we're walking and my daughter starts to get scared and grabs my arm and says, Daddy, I'm afraid. And Lincoln, without blinking, says, Lizzie, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid for the Lord your God goes with you. So I'm fit. And you're like, what? what? <laughs> he just pastored me, right? Like my son. You see, what he's doing is he's applying the truth of who God is into the practical arenas of his life. I don't want him to lose that. I want him to cultivate a heart of praise at a young age. And for those of you that don't believe me and think I'm exaggerating, take a look at Lincoln. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord, our God, 
to help us. Deuteronomy 31.6. Come on now. That's good, isn't it? That's called ninja scripture, right? Do not be afraid. <laughs> what I didn't video is five minutes later when he hit his sister, but let's just remember, remember that part, right? See, Lincoln doesn't know the depth of what he's singing, but he's learning to put praise into his everyday life. See, when your problems start to press in and squeeze the peace out of your life, you've got to go back to recognizing God for who he is. God, you're my maker, you're my creator. God, you carved the oceans out with your hands. You put breath in my lungs. God, you're strong, you're powerful, you're in control. I could just say the name Jesus over and over again. Jesus, he rescued me, he died for me. He went ahead of me to prepare a place for me. See, we have to start by recognizing God for who he is. Praise starts there, doesn't end there. Let's continue on in Psalm 121. Let's continue on with verse three. David says this, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Let's pause. In verses one and two, it's like David was painting a picture of a God up there. I look up where my help comes from. And then he turns the corner in verse three and he's talking about a God who's right here as our helper. And he takes it practical. He won't let your foot slip. He won't slumber. You can sleep because God never sleeps. He makes it practical for us. David started by saying, we've got to recognize God for who he is. But your recognition of God has to lean into a reliance on God. Your second R starts with recognition and moves to reliance. See, praise was never meant to be a three-song set on this stage. Praise needs to invade every part of the practical arenas of our life. And as my view of God begins to grow, my trust in God begins to deepen. And David is, is painting picture for us here of what it looks like to place your trust in God. But anxiety grows when I feel like it's all on me. If I let myself sit and think, okay, I've got to make my marriage work. I got to make my kids good. I got to make my job work. I got to climb the ladder. I've got to earn enough money. I've got to pay all the bills. I got I to have friendships. and I got I to build all this and juggle all this on my own. I will always live in anxiety. See, if my solution to anxiety is, is about me, it's like trying to fight a forest fire with a squirt gun, right? It's not enough. See, your recognition of God has to translate into reliance on God in the most practical arenas of our life. So my dad modeled this really well for me as a kid. When we had to make tough, not tough necessarily, but big decisions, are we gonna move, gonna buy a house, buy a car, what are we gonna do? He would always process that with God first. And that was not something that I saw many people do, but he, he, he processed that through God. And so one day, our, it was time to get another car, our old car was getting older and it was time to get another old car, right? So we're transitioning to the next car and we go to the used car lot. And uh, we walk around and find this massive conversion van in all its 90s glory, right? The big high top, my brother and I fall in love. At that point, it wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, common to see televisions in cars. This van had a television in it with, wait for it, a VHS player. Mm. 
And I could just picture myself watching my Disney movies, driving down the road in style, right? We fell in love with this van. We wanted this van. What I didn't know is before we got there, my dad had wrestled down sort of a drop dead number where between him and God, he's, this is kind of the wisdom number for us. Don't, don't go over that. Let's, let's sit there. So the used car guy comes out and he walks out and the conversation starts and they start going back and forth on a number and they come within $100 of the number that my dad had wrestled down with God. And my dad just said, I can't do it. And the used car guy's like, come on, bro, it's $100. We did the heavy lifting. I'll meet you in the middle. My dad said, I know it's crazy, I, I, I can't. And we walked away from what was my dream van as a kid. My dad was modeling that for him, praise was not a three song set on a weekend. Praise was a place of him relying on God's wisdom over his own. How easy is, this, is it in that moment to rely on my own wisdom and say, it's 50 bucks, just get the, get the van and call it a day, right? And I don't know what God was doing. We might, we might should have bought the van, I don't know. But in that moment, there was a place where I think his reliance was tested. And the problem with, with, with this is, is when we make decisions apart from God, the consequences are all on us. And you cannot live angst-free when it's all on you. See, we sing the songs on the stage, my dreams and all my plans, I trust it all, I trust it all to you, and it's fun to sing them. Do we live it? Is there an actual reliance on God in the most practical arenas of our life. I think David's saying, listen, if you want to live an anxiety-free life, you don't have to, but if you want to, starts by recognizing God for who he is, relying on God. And then he continues on in verse seven. Let's follow along. It says this, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Can you hear the rest in that statement? Like just, just the thought that the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life both now and forevermore. David's taking us from recognition of God to relying on God to your next blank, resting in God. David was inviting us to rest knowing that God holds our today and our tomorrows. Whew. See, anxiety grows when I want to be in control. Doesn't it? The places that I have the most anxiety, the places I have the least control, but praise begs us to rest in who God is. I think that, I think that the, the pinnacle manifestation of worship is resting in God for who he is. Let me just make it practical. And some of you, this is gonna be a, a little lesson. You're not that much in control of anything, right? You're not control of your, in control of your circumstances. You're certainly not in control of the stock market. You're not in control of your spouse. You're not in control of your kids. You're not in control of your boss. You're not in control of your professor, your teacher. You're not in control of the interest rates and your mortgage going up and down. You're not, you're not in control of the guilt from your past. that ha- You're not in control of very much. So if you can't control it and you try to, anxiety will grow in your, in your life. See, anxiety creates control freaks. When, when I sit in anxiety, it's a vicious cycle because I get anxious. My kid messes something up and I get scared and I want to do it. Finances get tough and anxiety grows up and I want to grab a hold. And what it does is I want to kind of shrink my life down into microcosms that I can control and I can order things right and make it look right and look good out in public and make it all. And then when it falls apart, I get more anxious and that cycle continues on and on. But the reality is, 
You're not in control. So you can fight that or you can rest in who God is. See, Jesus says in Matthew 11, I think, uh, again, the pinnacle statement on worship in verse 11, it says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus saying that. That's our savior saying that. The opposite of rest is to toil and to labor and we sit inside of this and try to labor and control. Anxiety grows up in us. But rest is a natural outpouring of a life of praise. If I'm honest, the place that I have the most anxiety is with my kids. And parents, you're not along with me, right? I think, I think it's because it's the quickest place you realize you can't control something. Like you can kind of control a dog or a pet. I can kind of control my car, keep the oil changed, keep things working and my car will do good. But your kids, it's like they're, they're their own thing. <laughs> If I'm honest, there are places where, you know, you get a phone call from school and one of your kids is struggling in a class. And the weight of, oh God, is he gonna graduate? Is he gonna get a job? Is she gonna be successful? Is this gonna work? And one of your kids, they, they have a falling out with a friend and you're like, oh my goodness, is my kid gonna be bad relationally? And you can't, you can't keep a marriage together if you're gonna act like that. My kids are five, right? But... Don't play like you've not done this. Your kid has a little moment of disrespect and mouths off and you're like, he's gonna be a prodigal, she's gonna be a prodigal, they're gonna run away and oh my goodness, this whole thing's gonna fall apart. And you laugh at me about it with my kids, but we do it somewhere in our finances for some of you, in your career for some of you. There's times where you lay in bed at night and your chest is tight and anxiety and the thoughts are racing. A friend of mine said, uh, let me just give you a picture, so go with me. He said, what if God could put you in a time machine? I said, I like where this is headed. And he could, I could just send you ahead 25 years and you see all three of your kids and they're healthy and they have a great spouse and they got grandkids for you. Got a good job, they love Jesus. They're plugged into a local church where they're in a small group and, and, and they're living on mission for the kingdom. And, and, and what, if, what if God could let you see that and then you snap back to right now, what would happen? <clears throat> I would have no anxiety for them. It would just be gone. See, praise is sort of like that. Praise lets me rest now, even though I don't know what's coming because my trust is in God and God's in control of my tomorrows. See, I can have uncertainty and not have anxiety because my certainty is in God. See, praise is not this passive sort of sing a song and whistle and pretend like things are okay. Let's just overlook everything that's around me and just, let's just sugar plum fairies and pixie dust and it's gonna be fine. No, 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 no. Praise invites us to recognize God for who he is. The creator of the universe has said, I am your helper. You can't do this on your own. Look up. And as you look up and your view of God begins to enlarge and you start to see purely who God is, it really starts to get easier and easier to lean on him, to rely on him, to trust in the most practical arenas. How could I not, why would I not want to trust God in my marriage and the way I do finances, the way I do parenting? 
And when you do that, you will begin to find rest because it's not all on you. There's really only two options. You can start with your problems, then act like it's all on you, then try to control the outcome of everything and sit in the swirl of anxiety for the rest of your life. Or perhaps the, the way God would invite us, he'd say, listen, recognize me for who I am. Look at me, trust me, and rest in me. And you can live a life of peace. The thing about anxiety is you can't force it away. You can't say, stop being anxious. Have peace. See, peace is the natural response and outpouring and fruit of a life of praise. So what if God had a better way for us to live? And what if God would say, uh, praise is way bigger than three songs we sing on this stage. Praise was always meant to be a practical pursuit in every area of our life to praise over our problems and our pressures. So God never said our life would be problem-free, but he does, live as, he does invite us to live anxiety-free. So I have two questions for us before we throw to the campus pastors. Here's the first question. Where is anxiety costing you the best moments of your life? If you were honest, where is anxiety costing you relationships, time with your kids, And secondly, where do you need to use Psalm 121 as your roadmap to lean into the recognition of God, to learn to rely on God and to rest in God? So right here at the central campus, I want to pray over us. And I know in a room this size, um, the full gambit's in a room like this. You got people who for, for years, anxiety is eating your lunch and this is not just like a, ooh, thanks, I'll try that sort of teaching. This is real, this is personal. And there's others who anxiety, you're young, you haven't even thought about anxiety yet. But I know this, I, I actually believe that God would invite us to live differently. That we don't have to live inside of anxiety day in and day out. I think God would invite us, although it doesn't have to happen in a magical moment right now, I think as we engage this path of praise that David walks us through, I think if we engage that, God changes us because praise never leaves us the same. So I want to pray over us. And as I pray, maybe under your breath, you're just whispering to God, God, I want freedom from the anxiety. God, maybe it's this, God, I surrender control of my kids. I surrender control of my finances. I surrender control of my, of my career and the ladder I'm trying to climb. God, it's eaten my lunch for too long. I can't control it anyway. God, I surrender. I rely on you. So as I pray, maybe that's just under your breath between you and your heavenly father. So let's bow our heads. So God, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that you went from being God up there to sending Jesus as God down here to die for us in our place. So God, I pray for those where anxiety is eating their lunch right now, God. Maybe it's brief moments, maybe it's every night, maybe it's constant, I don't know, but you do. God, I pray that as we look to you as our help, that you would be near to the brokenhearted, you'd draw near to us, God, in the places that we're holding on to control, trying to be a control freak and make things work in our life, God, would you, would you invite us to, to surrender over control to you and say, God, I trust you with that. And as we do that, would you give us rest? God, would you break chains of anxiety in the lives of people right now? And God, as we pursue Psalm 121 as sort of our roadmap, God, would you continue to help us to live anxiety-free and to live a life of peace? We trust you. There's no one like you, God, in your heavenly name. Amen.